We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adam Drummond, and I'm an associate partner at the International Center for Leadership and Education. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to our EdWeb webinar, Building Strong Educational Communities to Increase Teacher Retention. I'm joining you from the great state of Indiana in the United States, which is the Eastern time zone. So it is three o'clock Eastern here, and we are thrilled that you're part of our experience today. We're going to jump right in by first letting our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to start with Dr. Prince. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be joining you guys on today. Um, and so I am from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide. I know we have some Alabama fans on somewhere. Um, this is my 21st year um, in education. So I have been a classroom teacher, um, assistant principal, uh, now a principal. Um, I've been a principal at an elementary school. Uh, last year, our school was actually named as one of the national model schools. And so I had an opportunity to go to Orlando, Florida um, and present. And i um, excited that I'll be back again this year um, to present as well. And so I am serving now as a middle school principal at Davis Emerson Middle School. And I also do some adjunct um, professional work with the University of Alabama. So Hello, guys. So happy to be here with you all. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Prince. We're excited about your expertise and hearing about your journey and how you've built great community within not only your elementary school, but now the middle school that you're working in as well. And next we have uh, Kimberly Vaught. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kim Vaught. Uh, if I'm trying to be more formal, it's Kimberly Vaught. I'm the very, very proud principal at a little school in the Western Corridor of Charlotte, North Carolina, better known as Allenbrook Elementary School. I'm very, very proud of the work that has happened here. I have been in education now. I'm actually embarking upon my 24th year uh, as a teacher, uh, literacy coach, assistant principal, principal, and a turnaround principal uh, for the last uh, 10 or so years. Uh, Allenbrook uh, certainly uh, has been a school to watch, uh, being named one of the lowest performing schools, not just in Charlotte, but across the state of North Carolina. I had an opportunity, was most fortunate to take over the helm of this awesome, amazing school community uh, right at the height of COVID in uh, 2020, uh, June of 2020. Uh, and we had been named to the bottom of the state's list for academic performance, academic achievement. We were an F school. Uh, I was launched uh, into this great community to turn it around. Uh, and I'm very, very proud that we too, Dr. Prince, uh, have been named for this year a model school, a national model school. Uh, and I'll be presenting this summer in Orlando. So if you've not registered, make sure you do that. Just a shameless plug. Uh, and we are, we've gone from an F school to four points from a B uh, during the pandemic. So at the height of pan, uh, the pandemic, and we have been able to uh, retain 100% of our teachers, K-5 classroom teachers, during the 21-22 school year. And we were named the second highest growing elementary school in the state. Uh, so pretty proud of that work and so excited and humbled to have the opportunity to share with you all today. Thank you. Great. 
Thank you, Kim. And we're so excited to have your expertise as well. And um, coming in as a COVID principal, let alone being able to turn around a school in, in such a manner, I know the expertise you're going to bring to our participants today is going to be exciting as well. And would love for you to take just a moment and think about this question. Why do teachers leave the profession? And there's four different options there. Love the quick participation we're seeing. And it looks like overwhelmingly, many of our participants are looking at all three options above and saying, you know, I think it's probably all of those. And as you go ahead and finish putting in your polls, when we think about the work of educators, there's really five main reasons that educators do leave the profession. And we're going to really address the three that you see here today. And these three, we're going to hear from Dr. Prince and Kem on specifically around what are ways in which ideas they've generated to help show that um, ability to support new teachers, increase working conditions to make them admirable and even um, attractive for folks to want to stay, just like you said, Kim, with 100% of your staff um, in a retention era. And then how do we make sure we have preparation? Because we know across the country right now, we have lots of educators that are coming in from non-traditional tracks. And we love the fact that they have that passion, but how do we help support them in their preparation? So our first question as we think through today really is going to be focusing around that support for teachers who may enter the field not feeling adequately prepared to support students. And I think this really, again, to what we've all experienced in the last three years has come because of um, COVID amplifying this need and supporting students even more. And so would love to hear from both of you around what are some ways that you've helped support teachers who maybe don't feel adequately prepared to enter the field and working with our students? Um, I'll start off um, first, Kim. Um, I think that everything is centered around building relationships. Um, you will hear me say that um, probably a hundred times throughout this presentation, because that is where the groundwork starts. Um, people want to know that you care. And so when you begin to foster those relationships with people, then you're able to have um, those authentic uh, uh, conversations with them and to also be able to provide for them um, the support that they need. And in order to provide the support, um, we as those of us who are in positions as principals have to be inside the classrooms to be able to see what are the teachers struggling with having those conversations with them not only uh, with the things that we observe in the classroom but also hearing their concerns what are some areas that they feel like they're not adequately prepared for and then when we talk about um you know when we provide instruction for our students you know we always talk about differentiated instruction and we talk about personalized learning i think we have to take that same approach um, with our teachers, because everyone um, may not need the same uh, professional development opportunities. And so you provide opportunities where it is personalized based upon what those teachers need. Um, and also just making sure that we're pairing them with a great mentor, um, someone who has a passion for education, someone in whom they can relate to, someone in whom that they can play in with, um, and just be able to bounce ideas with um, them. And then also being present. 
um, being present, making sure that you are available when they need. So, so many times I think we bring people in and then once we get them in, we kind of drop them off. But we have to be present. We have to let them know that that we are there um, and that we are a teacher champion for them. And so we're always motivating them because we know that this work is hard, right? And so they have to have those individuals that's there, that's always there to pump them and motivate them to say like, hey, you're not in this by yourself. Like we're going to make sure that you are successful because we're going to make sure that you have all the tools in your tool belt to make sure that that happens. So I'll, I'll stop right there, but I have several more things, but I, I want to give Kim an opportunity and I'll, and I'll jump back in as well, Kim. I echo every single sentiment that Dr. Prince has shared this afternoon. I would just add that one of my philosophies really is steeped in the work of John Maxwell. And one of the biggest things that, that John Maxwell says is that every single thing uh, related to the human condition rises and falls on leadership. And so thinking about as I'm onboarding, you know, teachers, sometimes, you know, certainly it's teachers who are brand new to the profession. Uh, sometimes it's teachers who are new to the community. They may have had a different experience or come from a different area. Uh, one of the things that I always say um, as a leader is that everyone wants to be a part of a winning team. And so thinking about surrounding teachers who are new to our school community with winners, Right. So with leaders who have a winning mindset, not just around academic outcomes, but around, uh, you know, being ministers and support for for teachers uh, in a, what I call a 360 fashion. So being able to not just have those conversations, but being able to to provide teachers with timely resources uh, through what I call alignment. So alignment of time talent and resources, making sure that we're placing new teachers in situations where we, they can have the most optimal outcomes um, and making sure that they're provisioned with resources. So as they look to the left, look to the right, look up, look down, uh, things are already in place for them. Uh, one of, I, I believe, one of the, the, the strongest uh, levers that we've been able to use here at Allenbrook uh, is taking on a really strong coaching model. So looking at teachers who've not only been successful and understand how children learn, but who also understand what I call adult learning theory and how adults learn best and who, as Dr. Prince said this afternoon, are able to leverage those relationships uh, in a very quick fashion, uh, whether it's standards aligned instruction, whether it's building positive classroom culture, uh, teachers who can get uh, what I call bedside boots on the ground, teacher leaders in particular who can get boots on the ground uh, and be front linesmen and advocates uh, for what uh, new teachers need uh, to be voices. Sometimes, you know, the, the real deal is a lot of our new teachers really, unfortunately, don't know what they don't know, uh, even as veterans sometimes, as, as educational leaders and, you know, people who've been in the field. There are, there are still what we call gray areas or those things that are unknown. So really helping uh, new teachers be, be, you know, be able to not just develop uh, the sense of advocacy for themselves, but to, to feel like winners in the classroom uh, with quick wins and, and strong outcomes um, and maintaining a platform where teachers have voice, they have agency, uh, and no matter where they go throughout our school community, they can always find what I call alignment and cohesion and an opportunity uh, for someone to link arms with them each and every day to make sure they have exactly what they need that they're able to get those questions answered uh, and that they have the supports um, surrounding them uh, each and every day uh, to make sure that they're winners in the classroom early on. Uh, you know, I, I always say, you know, both personally and professionally, once you get the smell of the win, 
uh, in your nostrils, you want to keep winning. So looking for opportunities to help new teachers win uh, early on has certainly been what I call um, a key lever, uh, an opportunity that we've embarked on and just really capitalized on uh, here in our school community. Uh, and once you win once, you want to win twice. Um, and so that's just been, and once you win once, you want you want to win twice. Uh, so just really uh, excited about that work here at Allenbrook. Absolutely. I think um, what I heard, and I literally am just taking like notes here of all the wonderful things that you're saying. And, you know, there's four pieces that I think really resonated from both of your comments that I just want to kind of recap and summarize for folks. And I think the one that's probably the, the most, I'm selfishly opinionating here, important um, is relationships. You know, uh, we know that kids don't learn from people they don't like. And I think the same things with adults, right? We don't work for people we don't like, and we're not going to stay for people we don't like. And so as administrators, yes, our ultimate job is to ensure that every student can reach the dreams that they have. Um, but in order to do that, we have to have a, a high effective faculty that believes in the mission and the vision. And that starts exactly with what both of you just said, which is relationships. And so I think that key around relationships is absolutely critical. Um, and then I think, Dr. Prince, you mentioned visibility. You know, I think there's no better support for new teachers and veteran teachers than seeing their principal every day. Yeah. Looking and saying, I'm going to be in every classroom every day, even if it's just 30 seconds, 60 seconds walking in or five minutes or 30 minutes. But that visibility goes such a long way into them saying, oh, he or she cares about me in the work that we're doing. This is incredible. Um, and I think it's still unique, right? You know, I think a lot of teachers don't, still don't see their administrators as frequently as they would like. And so I think that visibility is a key differentiator between what makes a school good and what makes a school great. Right. It does. Um, the agency that you talked about, Kimberly, I think is absolutely critical. We have to make sure that teachers feel empowered. And if they don't know what they don't know, do they have the avenue to ask? And do they have that opportunity? And then the last one here that I, I just want to bring out is this idea of vulnerability, right? When we think about vulnerability, you know, immediately there's a negative connotation. Um, but I want us to think about vulnerability as a way in which people feel comfortable to take risks, to ask questions, and to make mistakes and to learn and grow. Just like we don't expect our students to be perfect uh, every day. Our faculty and staff need that space to be able to be vulnerable in their growth as educators to try something new. We saw that with the pandemic, right? We literally overnight became virtual teachers. And so now that we are, are I want to say past the pandemic because COVID is still here, but now that we are back in a more regular routine of school being in person, how are we taking those key strategies and building it and supporting our teachers in terms of what best practice is? And if we don't build that vulnerability in, we're missing the boat on how do we support our teachers effectively. Um, so that idea around relationships, visibility, agency, vulnerability, I think are four attributes that you have both shared around what do we need to do to support new teachers? Yeah. I, I want to just add one thing in um, that I have found to be so important in the elementary as well as middle school is modeling uh, the expectations. Mm. Um, Especially because we have so many teachers who are coming in um, that, you know, are not in education. And so a lot of the things that we take for granted um, that you should know, 
you know, we've had to shift our mindset to say, okay, just the routine of um, how do we line them up? you know, um, in the halls, you know, how do we transition, you know, during class periods, those are things there that we actually had to put in place to make sure that our teachers who were coming in that were not in education, that they felt supported in that. And then, like you said, able to take risks and know that it's okay that I don't know that. Um, and so we will begin to pair them with other teachers and our instructional coaches to go in to say, okay, this is how they transition from this to this. But once again, if you're not in the classrooms, then you're not able to see what they're struggling with. It's almost um, like when you go to the doctor, like you have to go into the doctor for the doctor to assess you, to be able to give you the correct prescription that you need. Um, and so I think that as leaders, we have to be in the classrooms. We have to have those conversations so that we can be able to prescribe to our teachers what they need. And so that's one of the things that I've been able able to see is that they need someone to model for them the expectations of what we want to see when we walk in the classrooms, what we want to see when we are in the halls, what do we want to see when the students come in the cafe? You know, those things that we take for granted, but it's so necessary um, as we are in this new era of education. Yeah. And I would agree with Dr. Prince. You know, one of the things that I always tell folks is, um, so I certainly believe that feedback is a gift and I believe in the power of feedback. But I think that sometimes as educational leaders, we get so caught up in what we call this feedback loop, this feedback cycle uh, that we forget to start with support. So I think a lot of times as educators, we will walk in as educational leaders will walk into a classroom with a checklist. Uh, we have our walkthrough forms. We have our rubrics. Right. Uh, instead of like Dr. Prince said, you know, really getting into uh, truly figure out authentically what's happening uh, and jumping in, jumping in boots on the ground, a bedside to make sure that we're supporting teachers. I know here uh, at Allenbrook, one of our quick wins, as Dr. Prince has spoken about, has been our coaching uh, model where our instructional coaches aren't just spending uh, every single day at the PLC table with teachers, but they're actually uh, in the classrooms, co-teaching, modeling uh, with teachers, providing, you know, the, the best feedback ever, uh, which would be if, you know, if a teacher struggling or having a tough, a tough time with a particular lesson or student or whatever, actually jumping in, linking arms and helping that teacher uh, think through uh, in real time. So not just waiting to give what I call, you know, that autopsy feedback or feedback after the lesson or a checklist, uh, but really, you know, jumping in in real time and, and supporting that teacher. But once again, uh, Adam and Dr. Uh, Prince, that goes back to having that relationship. Uh, and really understanding and having a pulse check in order to be able to provide what we call safe space for teachers to be vulnerable uh, and to be willing to take those risks. Well, and I think uh, a piece that you just shared is around this idea of support is around the idea of coaching, right? And when we think about coaching, yes, it's modeling. Yes, it's giving authentic feedback. And it's making sure are we positioning coaching from a strengths-based approach? And I think especially for our, our new teachers who are coming in who don't feel adequately prepared, um, that strengths-based coaching model where we build off what are they doing well goes a long way in their self-identity of who they are as an educator. Um, and how do we make sure that we really are building from that strengths-based approach? Um, because I think there's still this connotation that if I'm being coached, I'm not doing something right. 
And I always, when I work with schools and districts across the country and we get to this idea around coaching, I give them the example of Michael Phelps, who's the most decorated Olympian athlete of all time. And he has a coach. And if he has a coach, we all can have a coach in our professions and in our fields. And so it is this mind shift of how do we build this coaching model from a position of strength and that it really is about making sure we're all doing the best that we can for kids in the end of the day. Absolutely. So as we think about these ideas, we, we kind of touched a little bit on the, the idea of coaching, um, but I want to take it and really kind of delineate between coaching and mentoring um, and really focusing in now as we shift around how does mentoring improve the retention of staff, raise test scores, improve culture. Both of you come from schools where you have turned them around um, from academics, but I also know that in order to turn the academics around, you had to first turn the culture around. And so would love to hear from you around how does the mentoring processes you've put in place impacted the culture that then translated into higher levels of growth and performance. I think that, you know, being able to establish a solid, what we call mission vision, uh, is just one piece of the pie. Uh, but I think that when folks look around and see that there are individuals who are not just in their corner, not just that not just have their backs, but that really have an opportunity to help them to uh, increase their professional as well as their personal capacity. I think we focus a lot on standards and what happens at the classroom level and did we get the lesson right and, you know, what happened for, you know, that particular day. But I think that a P, the, one of the things that differentiates coaching and mentoring uh, is that, that the ability of that person uh, to understand not just the professional aspect of the relationship, but that personal uh, aspect of the relationship uh, and to, to build a rapport uh, and, a, and a personal stance with the person that they are supporting at that particular time. Um, I know here at Allenbrook, uh, you know, a lot of our instructional coaches have certainly become what we call mentors. And so uh, teachers not only call on our coaches when it's time to talk about standards, but they also will call on them when they're just having a tough day, uh, when they're just having, you know, where they feel like they are at the end of their rope, uh, they're being down on themselves. Uh, and they built that positive report and that relationship uh, with another adult or another other adults in the building, plural, uh, where they have built uh, this, what I call trust capital, um, that, you know, if I'm having a great day, um, an okay day or a horrible day, there's someone that's champion, that's uh, serving as a champion for me. Um, and because of that, they feel that they, like they can run a little further. When teachers are encouraged to go a little further, students are encouraged to go a little further. Um, and, you know, I think, Adam, at the beginning, you said that, you know, folks will not work for people that they don't like. One of our sayings here is that people work for people. People work with people. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I know it's just been a, a really strong push uh, around, uh, you know, building strong mentor-mentee relationships uh, that are well-rounded, well-balanced, looking for folks who have what I call strong, uh, not just, a you know, large IQ and uh, who understand uh, pedagogical practices, but that really understand the human condition um, and how to move folks from one in, uh, an end of the continuum to the next. Uh, you know, I think there's this battle now around, you know, whether or not culture trumps strategy. Uh, culture must be a part of your strategy. Uh, so it's like, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Um, I think that those two 
you know, concepts must be interrelated and culture must be a part of your strategy. And at the top of that strategy must be your understanding of people. Uh, and when you understand the adults in your building and you really understand how to move them along through mentoring uh, relationships, um, academic achievement is a natural outcome. Uh, of those relationships um, when they're steeped in uh, an understanding of a strong vision and a strong mission uh, to move a school community forward that's led by, you know, strong principals who understand uh, what we call influ uh, the need to, to influence and impact outcomes. So, yes. Amen, Kimberly, of everything you just said. Um, one of the things I just kind of want to piggyback on is um, understanding the people in your building. Um, once again, it goes back um, to those relationships. And um, one of the things that, um, that was so important um, to me as a a principal. You know, we have all been at schools and worked for different people where um, the culture and the climate was just not um, right. And we were always searching for another place to be. And so I begin to think about, you know, as a um, instructional leader, how can we create um, a system? How can we create schools where individuals that once they come in, they're not searching for another place um, to go? And so even though this this work is so hard, what I've learned is being at a failing school, a school where behavior um, was at its at, at the top um, level of kids being suspended and just a school where no one wanted to come to. How did we turn it around to a place where people um, we're sending emails and saying, do you have any job openings? Because the students didn't change, but the culture and the climate changed. And like you said, Kim, when people know that there is a, um, you're creating a, a, a history of wins, uh, people want to be a part of that. People started wanting to come and see what What's happening there? Um, how are they able to do that? But it was all centered around empowering the people within uh, the building and the empowerment. Um, it starts with the head um, because as, as the leader, you are the vision caster. And so you are the one who brings the energy in the building. You're the one who, who's able to speak life over the people that you have inside your building. And so we were able to do that by getting our teachers, whether they were veteran teachers, whether they were new teachers and empowering them to let them know like, hey, you're not in this work by yourself. We are in this together. And they were able to trust each other and they were able to stop looking at um, that. This is my class and this is your class. These are my students. And, this, and we start looking at this is all of our students, because if one classroom loses, then we all lose. Um, so we started looking at our school as a team. And so I would tell them I, I played basketball all through um, high school and played on a collegiate level. And I don't care how many points I made in the game. I don't care how many rebounds I made. At the end of the day, if we lost, 
the entire team lost. And so we had to shift our mindset of, okay, well, my my class scored good. Well, if your class scored good, what can what what strategies, what things are you doing in your classroom that we can help? another teacher that's struggling. And so when we changed our mindset of being in this together, everybody in the building started being mentored and started helping each other. Love what both of you have shared, because I, I think this idea of culture, um, certainly the administrators cast the vision, but the culture can't be done without everybody involved. Right. And so often as, as I go across the country and I work with schools, you know, teachers will share, you know, maybe the culture isn't what they want it to be or it wasn't what it was before COVID. And the question I always go back to is, so how are you helping to evolve the culture to be what you want? How do we individually impact the culture we want to have? And then collectively, how do all of our individual efforts create the sum of this new culture? Uh, because I think it's it does take everybody. I love the analogy that you just shared, Dr. Prince, about the basketball team, right? Like you can have the best score of terms of number of points, but if you aren't working as a team and you don't win, it doesn't matter that you made 40 points and you still lost by five. And so I think, you know, as educators, it's constantly thinking about how can I create that positive culture I want to see? Um, because it's very easy for us, especially in today's society, I feel like it's so easy for us to slip into that negative mindset and get into this complain mode and feel, in some cases, helpless or defeated or exhausted. And I know those are all words that I've heard teachers say because of this pandemic. And so how do we help flip the narrative and say that there's so many great opportunities that exist for us to build the culture that we want. And it kind of bowls into the question that Steve put in the chat. Um, his question for both of you that I think is really important for you to, sh to share your thoughts on, is the culture in your schools different now in a post-COVID timeframe? And if so, how? Or how not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, um, I really believe um, that coming out of COVID, I know that the world says that, you know, COVID did this or COVID did that. Um, what COVID did was it shed light on uh, gaps and trends and disparities and opportunities and challenges that existed pre-2020 when the world closed down. Um, so certainly coming out of COVID, I think that there is more of a realization um, first of all, of just the need to do something different. Um, I think that, you know, COVID presented us with that opportunity. We had to what we call suddenly shift uh, and make uh, different moves on behalf of children in order to, you know, keep our, our educational systems afloat. But I would, I would definitely uh, echo what uh, Dr. Prince uh, says. So coming in in 2020, uh, Allenbrook, uh, while they had what they called uh, a focus on, you know, developing the culture, unfortunately, to the demise what we call rigorous academic outcomes. So they were focusing on what, on what they thought was relationships um, to the demise of re relevance and rigor. Um, Allenbrook had a very high suspension rate. 
Um, you know, now when folks come to visit and tour the school, they uh, have testimonials about how they were tearing the school up, fighting each other, fighting in the neighborhood, running out of school, fighting teachers, uh, being very disrespectful. And now I think that because uh, students have not only demonstrated resilience, um, but the world has now recognized them uh, for being leaders in that area, uh, they have a different level of confidence uh, and voice around who they are. So uh, walking into Allenbrook, you know, students are able to talk about their future plans. Uh, they're able to talk about how they're going to get there. Uh, while, you know, students certainly still struggle, I think that COVID, uh, the pandemic certainly brought out uh, this notion uh, of mental health um, issues and, and social emotional issues uh, and, and shed uh, different light on it. Students are able to now advocate and talk about, you know, what they feel, uh, who they are, uh, who they believe they are destined to be. Uh, but more importantly, they're able to advocate for, for themselves and uh, talk about their next, speak very candidly about, you know, their pathways to college, uh, their pathways to, you know, post, uh, what we call post-academic uh, opportunities. Uh, and so um, absolutely, uh, I would say that that is the case. I would also say that, you know, just from a, a teacher standpoint, parental standpoint, uh, I think that particularly for our, our school community, uh, you know, teachers have become more bold uh, and, you know, advocating and, and speaking about disparities. Um, prior to uh, the pandemic, you didn't see as many social media groups uh, with teachers uh, speaking out and, you know, the op-ed, certainly you had pockets, but I think that uh, COVID-19 um, certainly uh, was a what we call a rally cry uh, for our communities, for our students, for our parents, uh, you know, to really put their voice in the space in a different way. Uh, and because of that, um, what what is a result of that uh, is they've now developed a strength in number one in numbers, but strength strength and voice and really understanding who they are uh, and, and being able to what we call suddenly shift no matter uh, what comes. I know um, last year towards the beginning of the school year uh, at Allenbrook, we experienced a, a power outage. Uh, I mean, no lights. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. We didn't have any electricity. Uh, walking through the hallways and just, you know, looking at kids who were they refused to go home. We didn't dismiss school early. Parents weren't, you know, trying to figure out, you know, oh, I'm not going to pick kids up. Uh, our kids, our staff, they were resilient um, and had what some would call a normal school day. You walked in the classrooms and kids were still engaged in learning. Teachers were still teaching and pushing students forward uh, because, you know, they've had to develop a different different level of what we call resilience or, you know, the ability to suddenly shift. Uh, so certainly at Allenbrook, uh, we moved from having tons and tons of suspensions to zero suspensions in three years. We've not had to suspend a student uh, at Allenbrook uh, in three school years. We're pretty proud of that. So certainly the culture uh, has shifted. Yes. I would just like to add with that, um, as you were speaking, um, the first thing that I thought about with COVID-19 is that we didn't really have time to think. You know, we had to adapt quickly. Um, and it showed us um, so much of what our teachers had on the inside that did they did not have the freedom um, to do. And so as a leader, it allowed me to reimagine um, education to reimagine the way that we um, do school. One of the things that we've done here um, at our middle school, we have a um, 
full-pledged um, game room with um, the um, Pac-Man machines and the basketball goals and just things that you would see at like a Chuck E. Cheese place. Um, we have one here now at Davis Emerson um, Middle School. So thinking outside of the box and doing whatever it takes to reach our students. And I think that for me, um, COVID-19 was an opportunity uh, for me to step outside of the box and to say, okay, we're not going to do school the way that it's always been done. It's okay to shake things up. And can I tell you, um, when we start shaking things up, um, we became a model school. When we start shaking things up, we were the school that people wanted to come in and say, okay, what are you all doing? And so many times, um, those, some of you that are watching, you know, it's like on that verge of like, I'm scared to take a risk. I'm scared to do something that's outside of the box. Just do it. Because the only thing can happen, it can either work or it won't work. But what I've learned is you'll never know if you stay on the fence of comfortability. Um, so for COVID-19, it was the season to get out of your comfort zone and do whatever it takes to reach our students. Great. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts around that. And I think as we as we look at this era of education, you know, the global pandemic once a hundred years, right, creates this opportunity to reimagine what we think school can be and, and can look like. And for many of us, we have been in a reactionary mode since that day in March. And I always encourage as I coach leaders in particular school leaders and district leaders to put on your calendar on Thursdays, 45 minutes of closed door vision planning, where you dedicate 45 minutes of your time to just the future of your school or the future of your district, because you are that lead visionary. And if you're not thinking about what does my school look like three years from now, or what does it, my district look like five years from now, who is? If not you, then who? Who? Yes. If not you, then who? And I always say put it on Thursday because we know as the, as administrators, as educators, things happen and we may not get to it because it's Thursday and, and things have blown up, but then I can do it on Friday still. I still have that day. So every week I am touching that idea around what does our future vision need to look like uh, for our school to be what we want it to be for our kiddos. I put in one of my uh, presentations at the uh, model school, um, you know, we, you know, those of us who, who, who go to church without a vision, the people perish. That is so true. If you do not have a vision for your school, if you do not see where the school is headed a year from now, two years from now, you're in the wrong seat because if you don't see it, it's impossible for anybody else to see it. And so, you know, coming in, even though it was a failing school, even though nobody wanted to be there, I saw something different. And as the leader, it was up to me to ensure that everybody that was on my team saw the vision as well. And so as, as leaders, you got to come in, even on the days that you don't feel like you got to bring that passion. You got to bring the, the excitement because they're looking for you. And so if you look defeated, 
And if you don't think that things can turn around, then what gives them hope? We are the hope givers. And, and, and so that's why sometimes we have to make sure that we are refilling our buckets because in, in, I mean, in actuality, they're looking for us to be the bucket fillers. They're looking for us to be the people that encourage them to keep coming every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Dr. Prince, the second part to that talks about, I'm a church goer too, and it talks about, um, you know, without a vision, the people perish. And it says, write the vision, make it plain so that he who reads it can run with it. You're exactly right. <laughs> I think sometimes we ask people to to run through walls uh, for us, but not with us. Um, when you it. have that, right, when we have a uh, when you have that powerful vision, and you like you said, cast vision, uh, and you make the vision plain and actionable uh, and worthy, a noble yeah. vision. Uh, people want to rally around you. I know um, here at Allenbrook, there have been some some things and some challenges uh, in the past. Uh, but just you're exactly right. Just making the vision plain each and every day, making it act actionable, making it bite sized and helping the folks to see how the vision is being actualized uh, a little bit more each and every day and getting them, helping them to get across that finish line, uh, even when. Uh, they feel like they're going to faint. I know that there are, you know, we're in a season now in education, especially as principals, as leaders. Uh, we're in what we call I could faint season, right? Uh, we're having this conversation around, you know, teacher retention because it is, you know, a concern right now uh, as we look at the bench, right? The bench is what we call on fire. Uh, but it is up to us to make sure that you're right, Dr. Prince, that we're casting vision in a way uh, that people have a vision that is worthy, that is noble, uh, that folks want to rally around. It's one thing uh, to write the vision. It's one thing to have a mission statement. Uh, but it's it's more important to to make sure that the folks around you and your within your school organization, your school community uh, understand the why, uh, the how uh, and 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 the way forward. And I know particularly, you know, here at Allenbrook, that that is certainly uh, the way that we started. Uh, you're right. It could be very, very daunting coming into an F school, coming into, honestly, coming into an A school uh, in today's uh, society, right? School is just tough. This work is tough and it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but giving people hope, uh, giving people inspiration. One of the things that we say here at Allenbrook is I'm inspired to inspire because the inspired have inspired me. Uh, and so uh, bringing that sense of inspiration each and every day, it's one thing to, you know, have, like I said, you know, pedagogical knowledge to have, you know, education and, and to have the know how uh, to and the know what. But it's another thing uh, to truly understand how to tap, 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 take a people to a place uh, where they feel inspired. They feel the sense of hope um, and they're ready to look forward to to tomorrow. Um because we are, you know, the, the truth is the elephant in the room is that, you know, it is a tough time in education, yeah. uh, but there are warriors that warriors out there. And I think that, um, you know, I know Dr. Prince, like I, one of the things that we say here at Allenbrook is, you know, we don't want to be the reason that people talk about why it can't be done. Uh, we want to be the reason that people are talking about why this work can be done, can be done well, can be done successfully. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, that the good news is being noised abroad beyond the brick and mortar of, of Allenbrook. Uh, and certainly, you know, I started by saying that, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, uh, you know, making sure that you're surrounding yourselves, uh, self each and every day, those uh, folks in your building that you deputize to be what we call secondary or tertiary leaders in your building, uh, they have to, to raise the standard just as high uh, as you. 
Once again, we want for people to run through the wall with us and not just for us. Absolutely. Well, and, and as we think about that, you know, we've talked a little bit here around these working conditions. And I know in the chat, there is a couple comments around, you know, teachers leaving the profession. Um, and, you know, we there's reasons for that. And I'm going to share a resource at the end with some strategies on how to combat that. Um, but you also, you both also have experiences right now where you don't have individuals leaving. And so what separates what you're doing from what others aren't doing yet, right? When we think about that growth mindset. Um, so we, we focus on and we ask them why, we, we might ask teachers why they're leaving, but I wanna know why your teachers are staying. I, I just wanna say that, um, you know, the truth of the matter is you're, you're gonna have always, there's gonna be a season where, where some people are going to leave, whether that is, um, you know, for family reasons or, you know, they're, they're moving to, um, you know, another place that's closer. But one of the things that I know um, that when I first went to Crestmont, um, it was looking at the, um, our surveys and being honest, you know, you know, allowing uh, people to be honest of what they saw what they thought. Um, and then we do a lot of giving surveys, but what do we do once we get them? I'm on the, um, in this principles group on Facebook and um, someone put on there, you know, I hate this time of the year, you know, because we have to give out the culture and um, climate surveys and, you know, they're just not good, you know, especially when you're trying to do your best. And I think that so, so many times that as a leader, you have to um, remove your feelings um, because I think that we all do the best that we can, but sometimes um, the best may not be what uh, that particular building needs. And so I have been in a place where my very first year, I um, got the climate and culture surveys, and I sat at my desk and I cried because as a first-year uh, principal, I honestly thought that I was doing everything right. I thought that I was doing everything right. Um, and to hear their comments I was like, oh my goodness. But at that point, I had to make a decision. Was I going to be in my feelings or was I going to look at what they said and make the necessary adjustments? What I realized was there was a lot of things that that was I was doing, but I wasn't getting the feedback from the people in my in my in my um building. And although they were good things, I didn't allow them to feel like they were a part of the team. And so I had to adjust quickly. And once I adjust quickly and they saw the things that were concerns to them, that I started implementing those things. See, people don't care that you give them a survey. They want to know that you listen. You know, are they going to see some of the things that they said is a problem? Will those things change? Will you address those things or will you just take the survey and then act like it never happened? It was at that point 
that I was able to start building relationships with my team because they understood that although some of the things that they said hurt my feelings, I understood this work is not about me. It's about our students. It's about moving us to the next place. So it was at that transparent moment that I was able to bring everyone in together to say, okay, I saw the surveys. You know, I'm I'm sorry. I missed it. I thought that we were in another place. How can we move forward? And so we got in one room together and we started having honest conversations. And I spent that entire summer planning how we were going to move forward. And then after that summer, the rest is history um, of what took place. I was able to retain every one um, of my teachers. But that first year um, after I got there, I'm just going to be honest, I had about eight teachers that wanted to leave. Not because I wasn't a good leader, but my communications of what I wanted, it was almost like I know what needs to be done and this is what we're going to do. And I had to learn quickly as a first year principal um, that the school is only as good as the people who are following. And so I had to come back to say, I need a team. This is not the Lucretia Prince show. I need a team. And the moment that I made that 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 shift, um, like I said, the rest is history. I was able to um, keep all of my teachers um, and then we just continued to move forward. Well, and I, I think in knowing your faculty and in, in knowing them well, then you're able to help intervene earlier when there's challenges that are happening. And I think that goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning with relationships and visibility. You know, if we are, are relational with our staff and we know them and we're visible and they have access to us, when there are challenges, they feel supported and maybe they don't feel quite alone because I know lots of teachers feel alone um, and then feel like they don't have that hope that we just talked about and then don't feel like that they're making a difference. And that can be part of the reasons why they leave um, as we kind of think through those things. Kim, 100% retention rate. Um, you know, obviously don't have that every year because, you know, folks might retire family may end up moving because of a career, but what's one or two things that you've done in your culture to ensure you have high retention of faculty and staff? Yeah, so I, you know, and this is coming directly from my staff. So folks come in all the time and they asked, you know, not long ago, um, a couple teachers, you know, why'd you stay? And one teacher said, you know, I really like that Ms. Vaught is a woman of action. Um, so certainly if, she, you know, she's a woman of her word, um, if she says that, you know, she's going to support you. If she says that something's going to happen, she's going to, to die on a hill to make it happen uh, for you. If it's in, in the best interest of her teachers or her, her school community, um, the leaders around her uh, have that, that same feeling. And so it just kind of trickles down to the teachers. Um, so one of the things that, um, you know, we really believe in doing here is, you know, number one, uh, being vulnerable. I started off by saying that people work for people. So helping teachers to realize that while I'm a, you know, the leader of the school, I'm the principal, uh, certainly, you know, when great things happen, it's always going to be the principal, if you will, that the public sees and gives, you know, accolades to. You get invited to the webinar as the principal. Um, but really being vulnerable to help them to understand that as a part of the human condition, uh, you know, life is hard, uh, you know, for all of us. And we all face challenges. Uh, we all face hardships and we all have moments that we're not proud of. 
Uh, and I think that sometimes, you know, as, as leaders, um, you know, we're taught to be tough and that is true. Uh, we're taught to set our faces like a flint and that is true. We're taught to never, you know, let them see you sweat and all of that is true. Uh, but in in order to build authentic relationships where people really trust you, uh, where people want to work for you, uh, they also you ha also have to let them, you know, know that you're a real person, that not only are you visible and accessible, uh, but that you have challenges that you, too, are working through. And because of that, you understand and support them uh, from a different platform and a different level of understanding. I would also say valuing um, folks as uh, being someone beyond a professional. So, you know, we have moms and dads. We have brothers and sisters. We have wives and husbands. Uh, we have partners. People have uh, other aspirations. Uh, and so really helping people to, to see that you value them beyond the classroom and that you understand, uh, you know, who they are as a person and that you want um, really more for them than sometimes they can want or see for themselves, uh, especially some of our newer teachers coming in who have, you know, just great, you know, aspirations coming into the classrooms. You know, they come in, they want to save the world. And then sometimes they come in and they think, wow, I'm here late, you know, three, four days a week. How am I ever going to meet a spouse, right? Uh, so really, you know, helping them to uh, develop um, their, their, themselves, spirit, soul, and body and help and, and encouraging that, uh, you know, and then also valuing time. So just this alignment, right? So I know here we've really uh, kicked over a lot of what we call sacred cows. So I know, you know, in some schools, folks are still having, you know, staff meetings, you know, every Wednesday, it's a sacred cow. We're going to have that staff meeting every Wednesday. I'm going to have my presentation ready and I'm going to have the announcements that we had last week and the week before. So really kick, kicking over those sacred cows. We've had, you know, two or three formal staff meetings this year uh, because teachers have then been given that time back. Uh, to work with students after school, uh, to be in the community, to, you know, leverage standards, to, to build relationships uh, with each other through, uh, you know, extended PLC uh, hours. So teachers aren't, you know, uh, asked to, to be all things to all men. Uh, they're not asked to be the jack of all trades, uh, but really helping them to, number one, you know, discover their priorities personally and helping uh, to, let, to let them know that I value that. Um, and that I, that I support that. Number two, letting them know that I am certainly a leader and a principal or whatever the case is, but I, uh, I too have challenges and sharing that uh, in a real open fashion. Uh, number three, I would say, you know, being a person of action, uh, being more than a person of words and really helping, you know, really being on the front line uh, to protect, to advocate uh, for teachers and, and to really be that voice of reason, um, you know, to the public. Uh, and then most importantly, certainly, you know, valuing uh, teacher time uh, and lifting, helping them to lift that load. Um, is certainly some of the the feedback that teachers here at Allenbrook have given uh, as uh, reasons that they uh, that they've stayed. Um, I'll be transitioning uh, to a new role in our district uh, in a couple couple weeks, couple few weeks now. I'll be the executive director of leadership here for for Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. And so one of the things that our teachers here have said, I think very very clearly to you know the folks who are in charge of. Um, you know, vetting a replacement is, you know, we want someone who's going to be boots on the ground. I think Dr. Prince said it uh, well, you know, someone who's going to get our, you know, get your hands dirty, um, you know, and, and be bedside, be visible, um, and really, really, truly understand, um, understand, you know, just the, the, the basic tenets of the human condition. People work for, uh, and I think that's just, you know, in, in a nutshell. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you very much uh, for both of you for those answers, specifically around our culture here. Um, I really wish we had another hour um, and could continue to build into the, the responses and the feedback. And there's still some questions that I know that are up. Um, and so what I'm going to do is in the chat, I just put um, Twitter contacts for all three of us. And so if your question did not get answered today, um, I know that any of us would love to help support you um, and answer those questions. So you can access all three of us there um, through our Twitter handles. And as we wrap up today, uh, just a couple last minute things that I'd love to share with you. Um, there is a, a resource that I shared with you earlier today called Why Do Teachers Leave? Um, and the Learning Policy Institute provided this graphic with additional ideas and suggestions, just like Dr. Prince and Kimberly shared with you today on some ways to combat some of those reasons. So it's a great resource. Highly encourage you to take advantage of that as you continue to think about this conversation today. We also um, have an opportunity if you want to hear more from Dr. Prince and Kimberly, as they shared at the very beginning, we are thrilled to be having them join us at our model schools conference. Um, June 25th um, is the pre-conferences and then the 26th through the 28th is the conference. You can register with that QR code. Um, we are having pre-conference sessions and I'm leading a pre-conference session on that 25th on that Sunday. It's come together, student-centered culture ensures success. So you will hear again, if you wanna take a deeper dive into the culture and how do we build that culture collectively, there's an opportunity there for you for some professional learning this summer. And definitely would encourage you to come see Dr. Prince and Kimberly uh, present their sessions. So thank you all for a wonderful opportunity to spend an hour. Kimberly, Dr. Prince, thank you for modeling uh, your vulnerability and sharing your stories. Um, I, I think the, the piece that I take away from, from both of you is that it took everybody in your school to make this happen. Absolutely. And working together collectively uh, to build the culture that we want for our kids. And it takes a great leader who has that vision. Um, and so my hope is as you begin to work toward the end of this school year for our participants, that you really spend some time thinking about the future vision of your school. What do you want it to look like? You have this great opportunity this summer to reflect and to rebuild and come into another great school year as we start thinking about the 23-24 school year. And with that, thank you for being part of our experience today and have a wonderful week. And thank you for what you do for educators. Kimberly, Dr. Prince, thank you. Thank you for thank having you. me. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.